Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Data Scientist Podcast. I'm very happy to have here with us today Stefan and Elijah from uh, Duckworks. And we're going to have a very interesting conversation around data engineering, pipelines, data science, LLMs, AI, and a lot of other stuff. Um, hi, guys. Welcome to the show. Hi, Stianos. Thanks for having me. Hey. Thanks for having us. Uh, would you like maybe to introduce yourselves and uh, say a few words about Duckworks and what it is that you guys are, are doing? What's the problem you're solving? Sure. Um, yeah, so my name's Stefan. I'm the CEO of Dagworks. Uh, and at Dagworks, we're trying to build the uh, one way for you to express data, machine learning, and LLM pipelines. And then with the one-line code change, uh, get kind of lineage, catalog, and observability um, without you having to add in uh, extra tools. Uh, the problem, in a broad sense, is we're trying to uh, enable teams to be more human capital efficient with how they kind of build pipelines. So can we enable uh, you know, the data scientists to be able to do more? Uh, and uh, if there is a handoff model, make that more efficient. Or if there isn't, make that data scientist be able to do more without having to have, uh, you know, have, to have the software engineering background to be able to do things themselves. Um, hey. That's me, Dagworks, Elijah. Yeah, hey, I'm Elijah, the CTO. I come from a background of building tools for data scientists. Uh, and Stefan nailed it on the head. Um, but just to add to that, we are open core. So we're based around an open source library called Hamilton. And it's a way of expressing these data flows, right? So you express your data flows in Hamilton, and then you can plug into the Dagworks framework all to make uh, your ML, LLM, and AI pipelines more human capital efficient. Yeah. Uh, you might hear us using the word data flow. It's effectively the same word <laughs> as you know, pipeline or workflow. There's you know, ETL. Um, yeah. many different synonyms, Anyways, um, but suffice to say, yeah, like, uh, it's all the same. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's fine. Um, perfect. So, uh, wh what is Hamilton really like? What's the origin story? Yeah. Um, so Hamilton, uh, is we, Elijah and I created it at Stitch Fix. Um, there was a, a team at Stitch Fix. Uh, so Stitch Fix for those who don't know was had over, you know, a hundred data scientists and it was a personal styling service. They effectively had, you know, data science teams, uh, helping with different aspects of the business. Uh, one of the teams we were helping, uh, working with was, uh, demand, uh, was forecasting team that helped kind of forecast demand that then helped forecast, you know, inventory and a few other things in the business. Uh, they were one of the oldest teams at Stitch Fix, but they, uh, you could say their uh, macro pipeline. So in terms of getting a new forecast out so the business could make decisions on was uh, they were kind of struggling to iterate and kind of push stuff out. So the pipeline was up, but really the code that was within the pipelines was the, the was the struggle for them. Uh, and so uh, on a work from home Wednesday, you know, Elijah and I prototyped two different versions. Um, uh, and uh, But the idea was how can we enable uh, that team to think less about their code and more about you know writing the things that you know matter to them, which is you know building features, connecting it with the data set, and then you know uh, building a better forecast. Um, and yeah. so that's yeah. So yeah, it started off with uh, feature engineering for time series forecasts. By the end of the time that we were at Stitch Fix, I think they were managing four or five thousand features with Hamilton, um, and we realized that it was very broadly applicable. So not only was it useful for sort of this case of feature engineering with time series forecasts. But it could also be applied to sort of any sort of standard a machine learning pipeline, LLM workflows, um, a bunch of other sort of AI applications as well. If you can if you can model it as a flowchart or a direct data cyclic graph, you, know, you can you can you know model it in Hamilton pretty well. Okay, that's fascinating. And what sets you apart from other tools in this area like Airflow? Yeah, so Hamilton focuses on the micro, right? Uh, so what I mean, so micro versus macro. So I think of Airflow as a macro system. 
Uh, Airflow is really trying to like, uh, if you have an end-to-end -end, you know, pipeline, like one task could be getting the data, another could be creating a training set, another could be you know, uh, fitting a model. And those, uh, those tasks are very a computational kind of, they're bounded by computation, right? Whereas with Hamilton, we're focusing, uh, the problem was you know, the code within the task uh, was the issue. And so that's where we started. Um, but from uh, if you focus on the micro, you can you add in more micro, you can model the macro. And so with Hamilton, it has this interesting uh, uh, ability for you to uh, model something logically end to end, but without having to say, well, uh, this part of the directed acyclic graph or this part of the, the flowchart, right, is one task. This is another task. You get to make a decision later. Um, and so really, so the differentiator is uh, uh, that aspect between, say, Airflow. Um, but it's also, you know, it's just a library doesn't contain state and runs anywhere that Python runs. Elijah. So to be clear, you can run, Hamilton is most often used along with a macro orchestration framework that you might know, such as Airflow, Kubeflow, Metaflow, uh, Dagster, Prefect, whatever. Uh, and you'll run Hamilton on top of that, where it's, where like one of these macro orchestration frameworks won't tell you exactly what's happening inside your code, won't sort of help you document it and understand it and share it with other data scientists. But uh, Hamilton will help sort of bridge that gap, right? So it works naturally with those as a level on top. Okay, uh, very interesting. So how much can this scale? Like what are some of the, let's say, uh, bigger case studies you have? <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, so so scale is in terms of, so, so one dimension is like, you know, code and, and people, right? And so at Stitchfix, as Elijah was kind of saying, that team, uh, uh, by the end of our tenure at Stitchfix, was you know managing over four thousand feature transforms, right, in a single code base in a small team. So usually, when you add code to a code base, it gets slower, right? Uh, but this team could continue cranking and adding to the code base and continue to kind of scale it. So fr from that perspective, like Hamilton, uh, you know, I think scale is much better and helps code bases and people and teams and structure scale much better just because it's an opinionated way to write Python code that make sure your code is always testable, you know, uh, uh, documentation friendly, you get lineages code, right? And so it's uh, very amenable uh, to help, you know, scale a team. Um, and we also have the, the, the compute, compute side, Elijah, you want to take? Yeah. So in terms of the compute side, Hamilton isn't going, Hamilton is going to work along with a bunch of Python tools already that are really good at helping you scale. So Hamilton works with PySpark. Um, we just have a, a new company using PySpark on Hamilton that scales up to, I think, hundreds of billions of uh, points, of data points. It works along with Polars, works along with Pandas. So whatever Python can do, uh, whatever sort of way you already can scale, Hamilton can latch onto that and help you organize it. Yeah. So for example, there, there's hooks for Dask and for Ray, uh, yeah. which are also uh, common common ways to kind of you know scale Python code, in which case Hamilton, part of the, you know, the reason why we built it was to help abstract a little bit of the, you know, where things run from from what should happen, right? And so the data scientists care about what should happen, but platform teams care about, you know, how it should run. And so, you know, uh, trying to provide that the, a nice interface there to to enable to make that pluggable uh, and enable you to like accumulate less technical debt um, as as kind of your your code grows. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I see. And uh, what are you currently seeing in the space of um, LLMs? Uh, do you feel that, um, I don't know, this is going to change things? Uh, also, like with respect to features, like you mentioned demand forecasting or uh, something like that. Uh, I guess, uh, you know, forecasting structured data is very different to large language models. Um, we've seen some LLM focused services in in the in you know in the last year or so. Uh, I, actually, today I was looking at the service by Amazon. Uh, how is this affecting what you guys are doing? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, so uh, there, there, there's a hunger for new tools, so we kind of see that. The um, if you think of LLM workflows, they can be pretty well modeled as a DAG. And so, you know, Langchain, one of the the incumbents kind of tools that people use in the area, is you know the common criticism, and it's you know it's bad for production, or hard to take to production, and you know uh, does a poor job of modeling a day-to-day cycle graph. Uh, Hamilton, you know, was purposely designed for that, and it's also you know works well for production. So actually, seeing interest, you know, uh, for people to use Hamilton uh, as as the one tool, as I kind of mentioned in the beginning, for, across data machine learning and LLM pipelines. So you bring in one tool, you don't have to learn something else, and you can kind of describe, uh, uh, you know, your workflows that way. Uh, in terms of you know myself as a classically trained NLP person, I see LLMs really being able to uh, you know uh, replace you know, most NLP classic NLP use cases. Uh, so if you want to extract entities you want to uh, you know summarize text you want to you know do query expansion llms i see uh, at least uh, anyone who's doing classic nlp stuff is basically you, know, you have to be using some llm somewhere um uh, otherwise we still see in terms of you know there are people still trying to figure out for example evaluation um so how do you evaluate it but otherwise um i don't allow you your thoughts but like uh, from what we've seen most of the problems uh seem pretty similar or analogous to traditional machine learning or ML ops kind of problems so uh, if you hear the term LLM ops, we don't actually view it as as that different. Uh, obviously, the tools and maybe you know the techniques that you're using for certain things might be different. But in terms of like the, the shape of the problem and what you need to think about to to get to production and maintain it well, we don't think there's uh, too much new there. Other than just you know having to learn, you know, yeah, how do you evaluate something? Okay, how do you ensure that when if you're depending on OpenAI, you can uh, depend on their model or catch detect changes quickly, etc. Yeah. So, yeah, to build on what Stefan said, um, I'm a big believer that LLMs are just sort of an evolution of your standard MLOps, which is why you see all these companies quickly moving over to now offer LLM solutions, right? You're calling out to a generative or predictive model. It's an external API. In a company that's big enough, you'll already be doing this in 18 different ways. So at Stitch Fix, you had model services all over the place, and then to serve a customer, you just start paying these. Replace one of those with OpenAI, and now you've got a service mesh serving LLMs, and you're dealing with a lot of the same problems, unstable APIs, costly APIs, uh, difficult to evaluate predictions, et cetera. So I think it's a natural evolution. And I think Hamilton is really nicely positioned to sort of bridge that gap, to take it from your ML pipeline that might do your regressions, your sort of very uh, typical stuff. You want to replace one piece with a call out to an LLM. That's a very easy thing to do in Hamilton. Yeah. I mean the um the other side in terms of I guess what we're seeing is um uh, uh there's, there's a lot of people who are still trying to I guess figure out uh yeah how to get to production so there's a lot of people who are just playing around and so this is where uh, I think there's a, some people who are taking a wait and see approach uh, the other is in terms of data people I, I see um more so than they did with machine learning is really trying to you know ensure that you know, they can, uh, you know, have a domain over their data. And so which case solutions and other things, like we're actually seeing more interest in kind of on-prem uh, kind of solutions, which mean, uh, you know, from a vendor perspective, SaaS was the easiest way to get kind of started. Uh, but, um, you know, seeing more interest for people to really like, you know, want to protect their data. And so which case this is where part of the evolution, we kind of see it, you know, just like in traditional machine learning, people ended up training their own models, right? Just because they had the data that, you know, this can be, uh, you can think of fine tuning as kind of, you know, uh, retraining a model from a warm start, right? Um, so we kind of see uh, you know, the pendulum swinging a little bit back into people being interested in like, how do I fine tune? How do I reduce my costs? How do I, uh, you know, make better use of GPUs, which was, you know, all problems that you kind of generally had with 
uh, machine learning ML ops kind of side of things when you're really trying to get machine learning to production and run it efficiently and effectively. Uh, you mentioned MLOps a few times. Um, what are some of the current trends you're seeing in, in terms of MLOps? How, how much do you think the space has matured? Um, I mean, it's only a buzzword that came about in the last few years, you know, uh, before that. I mean, I come from an era where, you know, being a data scientist, I mean, you'd also like to deploy your own stuff. Now we're just hearing about MLOps as a different thing. Uh, what's your take on that? Like, uh, what what do you see happening in this space? My my personal feeling is that things are probably becoming a bit easier, uh, but it would be interesting to hear from you and also what happens at scale, like at, if we're talking about really, really massive organizations. Yeah, um, I, I think, you know, MLOps you know, is a, uh, if you're familiar, there's a term called DevOps, which was around, um, you know, having a developer be able to do processes and kind of, you know, ship to production themselves. Because, you know, back in the day, that was also a handoff process where the developer would build something and then the, the operations person would kind of operationalize it. We see kind of MLOps kind of just being more of a, you know, thinking more in a more disciplined fashion. So, so at Stitch Fix, for example, the data scientists were in charge of kind of deploying stuff uh, and owning it end to end, right? So uh, just thinking of like, what are the operations and perspectives and hooks and principles that you should be thinking about to ensure that if something gets to production, you know, there, there aren't bad models, how do you prevent them from getting there? If there's a problem, how do you uh, reduce the time to resolution to kind of understand what's going on? So um, I, you could say, uh, uh, to your point, I think MLOps is just a name for that process, right? And so uh, if you've been doing it for years, it's probably you know nothing too new to you. But if you uh, don't come from a software engineering background, I think that's really where uh, we're seeing, you know, like, you know, trying to, trying to imbue uh, those kind of best practices to ensure that like, okay, uh, yeah, uh, how do you qualify a model for production? Um, what are the kind of guardrails you need? Do you, do you have kind of, you know, some sort of A-B testing sides that you can kind of actually measure the impact? Of, of your models, right? So it's really, I think, just a, a bit of more of a, you know, philosophical framing and kind of um, a framework of like how you should approach getting something uh, to production that involves data and code um, as opposed to you yeah. know, traditional software, which is just code. I, I want to agree, but I also want to push a little bit back on that it's more mature. I think in a way LLM ops have become, or sorry, ML ops have become more mature. There have been more uh, sort of solutions that work well for people. On the other hand, I think if you talk to like a VC or a really optimistic developer in 2019, they'd say, oh, by 2023, we'd have the equivalent of uh, AWS for ML. Like you just have one standard way to deploy a model or like a few different ways, like the cloud, that would be a totally solved problem. And if you look at it, companies are still sort of building their own custom model deployment solutions. I think because the problem space is just so varied, right? When you have the data, when you have the code, anything could potentially go wrong. There's a lot you have to think about. Um, and I've kind of come around to a way of thinking that it's, you end up building it off of a lot of sort of little pieces that you have to string together. So I think those little pieces are getting more mature. We might eventually uh, move towards a solution, but I think this is still just as unsolved a problem as it ever was. Like for me, the, the thing that's really mature is like, if you want off the shelf infrastructure to run things, like it's, it's there, there's a lot more options there and it's pretty, pretty easy. But in terms of the opera, operational process of like the software development lifecycle, the model development lifecycle, right? That's where uh, I think, you know, uh, you, you you have to build tooling yourself to stitch together different you know point solutions. So be it observability, feature store, model registry, deployment, uh, you know data catalog. Um, uh, so we definitely see point point solutions being more mature and kind of the infrastructure side. Uh, but in terms of 
the, the the process of how you stitch everything together how do you kind of make a, a cohesive platform that's still kind of maturing and that's part of you know part of what we're trying to tackle is to try to uh you know make that simpler and easier to stitch together a, a bunch of things so something that's very concrete in the age of llms is the problem of if you wanted to do inference on a gpu uh, this was something that I don't think many people did at all five years ago. Uh, I mean, I remember I was trying to push it at Stitch Fix when we had one thing and everybody laughed me out of the room because they're like, oh, that's too operationally complicated. Now you see companies, I know Pinterest uh, got this to production and this is sort of a more standard offering. It's all becoming sort of very behind cloud compute and abstraction layers that make it a lot easier to do that. I think that's where, that's one of those uh, infrastructure ways which has become much easier to handle um, ops. Perfect, perfect. Okay, that, that that's very that's very interesting because you know I'm obviously a data scientist myself, so it's uh, interesting to share views with others in in that area. Uh, yeah, I guess one last question before we go is around lineage, which is one of the things you mentioned on your website. Uh, I don't think it's a concept that's discussed as much, and I just wanted to, you know to hear a few words, mostly for our audience, yeah. um, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so I actually realized I didn't answer your scale question. So, uh, but this lineage question dovetails uh, with that. So, uh, one of the things uh, you kind of see uh, as an organization or as your machine learning kind of LLM, whatever you're doing kind of matures, people want to start to build off of each other and start to kind of, uh, if you think of, uh, you know, you start small, but then you kind of keep continuing adding uh, bits and pieces to either the front or to the end of something, right? In which case, um, you then get, uh, we, at Stitchfix, you know, we had teams who were building off of other teams' models, right? And so uh, part of uh, then the change management process or like how do you ensure that you know what's happening in production and you can debug easily if you have kind of clear insight or lineage in between, you know, uh, where did data come from? How was it transformed to like where did it end up? Uh, if you have that, then it's much easier and faster when something goes wrong to like, you know, root cause uh, figure out what's going on. Similarly, it's also uh, if you're trying to discover what is available and you want to trust something as as an internal kind of IC or something, having lineage and the ability to go, given this data set, okay, this looks good. Uh, but then how do I how do I know what data set or what the, what is the code that produced it so I can gain confidence that like uh, this particular column in this in this in this table is actually what I think it means, right? And so this is where uh, we see you know. Uh, I guess with Hamilton, part of the idea is you you write Python functions and those functions uh, encode lineage. And so with normal software engineering practices, you have a very lightweight way to kind of, uh, you know, have full provenance on like how something was kind of created as long as you're, you're tracking and storing things in Git. And so uh, we see lineage as one of these tools to help scale a team and an organization to be able to kind of really understand not, not only debug things, but then if you have more enterprise concerns, um, such as governance or understanding like, hey, where's birth date used? Because I need to audit that we you know, delete things for GDPR because it's PII, right? You need to kind of have that introspection. And so with all the, um, uh, you know, the, the privacy needs and like uh, regulations coming out, like actually understanding, you know, what data you have and where it goes is kind of uh, important from uh, many different angles. So to build off what Stefan said, I think one of the things that slows down a data organization the most is if I change this data set, who do I impact? And I've seen this like cause projects that should have taken a few weeks, take a few months. Um, I think we're hoping to be able to solve that both in terms of individual uh, data sets and pipelines and even across pipelines. In the Dagworks product, we're building out ways to sort of like connect multiple pipelines together to really understand how your data flows from one table to another. So it's a big value. Mm, yeah, I see. I guess this is the more. I guess this is more useful when you're dealing with bigger teams, right? 
Uh, I mean, so it, it depends. It's like um, it, 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 it's it's accumulative. So it really depends partly on on, on the complexity and how many transforms. But then, like for yourself, it's kind of like um, uh, if um, like this is where most people. So individuals build models, but teams have to own them, right? Uh, so if you're the individual who owned the pipeline, you're probably like, no, oh, this connects to this, right? It's all in your head. Maybe you've done a good job of documenting, but um, uh, this is where if you can kind of you know help automate or provide that, then A, you don't have to remember yourself, but then B, when you leave or someone else needs to come and take over your code, there's you know um, a, a great breadcrumb trail to kind of uh, help someone get wrapped up and kind of started. Right. So there's definitely, I think uh, you get more value the bigger the team is. Um, I definitely think that's a little bit of true, but that's kind of, you know, because of the communication overhead and, you know, standardizing that just makes that um, that much easier. But uh, you still get value from, you know, a single person kind of using it. Um, uh, it's just that, yeah, you, it, uh, it really then partly depends on, you know, how much code you write and how complex things are. So you and you six months ago form a team, right? Uh, there's communication boundaries. Uh, and we've seen individuals take on Hamilton so they can have this lineage in their code. So when they put it down, it somehow breaks and they have to pick it up on a whim. They can easily figure out what's going on. Um, so I think that's why, that's why lineage is good for the individual. And then it uh, scales up to the team and then it scales up to sort of multiple teams. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, makes sense, makes sense. So guys, where can someone learn more about you? And if I'm not mistaken, uh, like you said, it's it's open source, like you're saying, and you can really use it. Um, what's like your 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 website and um, your GitHub repository? Yeah, so the, the GitHub repo, so if you search for Hamilton and you know GitHub and Dagworks, we should be you know the top result there. Um, uh, so I think, yeah, we're, we're almost at a, at a thousand stars on, on this fork of the, of the repository. Um, if you want to try out Hamilton in your browser, we have tryhamilton.dev, uh, which is using PyDide. So you don't need to download anything and it gives you a brief, you know, like five to 10 minute kind of walkthrough in terms of, you know, just this, what is Hamilton and how, how would I, how would you think about it? Uh, in terms of our website, you can, uh, Dagworks, you can, uh, go to you know, dagworks.io, D-A-G-W-O-R-K-S.io. Uh, and, then, uh, we have a, a free tier so you can, you know, sign up, you know, get a, a free two week trial to kind of, um, see what we're building. Um, uh, yeah, no, no credit card or commitment necessary. Uh, but otherwise, uh, we also have a, a Slack community that we're kind of growing around Hamilton as well. So, uh, that has over 200 people. Um, and so, you know, we, it's not a small project's been out. We got, we're building communities. So, you know, we invite anyone and everyone to come uh, check it out and give us a try. Yeah, we're looking for users, contributors, uh, people with ideas, all welcome. Perfect. Well, thank you guys. It's been a pleasure. Very valuable insights. And I'm sure our audience uh, appreciated these insights as well, especially the ones that are working in the data space. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Thanks for having us, Daniel. This was fun. Yeah, really appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah, thank you guys, and thanks everyone for staying here with us today. Make sure to go to the datascientist.com for more content around data science, AI, and Web3. Thank you.